Well, greetings, church family. I just wanted to just start our service uh, just with a talk with you just for a minute or two before we dive into uh, worship. This last uh, Sunday, I had a chance in uh, person to talk to our church and encourage them. I felt convicted to give a little bit of a nudge towards engagement and worship, realizing that any times where I felt like I really encountered God in worship, it came because everybody was diving in full-hearted. And so we had a good conversation about that. And now that we're here online, I wanted to give another nudge to a part of our church family. And this is a a nudge that's kind of hard to bring up, but it's the, the topic of when we choose to resume coming back to church. I know that's a, a difficult topic and it's a, an important one. I've felt convicted just as I'm responsible for anything as it relates to spiritual matters to, as to what's said or what's talked about. And so wanted to nudge us a bit to start asking and wrestling through some tough questions as it relates to that. All of us know the biblical standard for that. Scripture's very clear that we're intended not to for, forsake the assembly of believers, not to forsake it, not to get out of the, the habit of coming together. So when believers are gathering for worship, when they're gathering to study God's word, when they're gathering to encourage each other to, to pray together, we're supposed to be a part of that. And that's, that's a, uh, intended to be a part of every believer's life. Now, I understand that it's bigger than just a, a gathering. Church isn't something that you're coming to a, a building. Church is a, a collection, a group of people that are doing life together and spurring each other on. So that's why the challenge of online for the past 18 months has been a bit difficult. Now, I get it. We've really all been wrestling through what do we do with this whole COVID thing? And there's been a, a lot of grace as we try to work through this. And I'm so grateful for each one of you as we've tried to uh, navigate unchartered uh, waters. I really appreciate that. But now I believe we're at the point where we're having to start to ask some tough questions. And really, if I were to narrow it down, the question that I would encourage you to prayerfully consider is this question. The question is, what is the marker that I'm waiting for before I resume coming back to church? Now, early on, a lot of people said, you know what, once they finally get a vaccine, then I'll be ready to come back to church. Well, obviously now we have a vaccine that's an option uh, for people. Some people have said, well, when a higher percentage of people have taken that vaccine, the latest numbers that I've seen have gotten quite high as far as participation, especially in our specific region here. So those numbers are high. So that, that's, that can no longer be a, a waiting marker, in my opinion. Other things that we've said that we're waiting for, some uh, parents have said, you know, once the kids are, are back in school, then I'll look at, at returning to some degree of normalcy. Well, obviously kids are back in school. And really, if you think about that, all bets are off with exposure as it relates to kids that are interacting on a daily basis with each other. Others have said, you know, once the, the, the numbers go down, when the, the curve flattens a little bit more, I'd push back a bit on that because I believe that COVID-19 or whatever strand next version there is of that is now unfortunately a part of our ecosystem. It's a part of what we're dealing with. So it doesn't matter if you were to wait one month or one year, it's still going to be a threat 
for all of us. So we're left with the question of what does life with COVID look like? At what point do we choose to re-engage and trust God with the results? Really, the alternative is to continue in seclusion. And it would be hard to make a biblical case for that being a good option. If I'm going to be honest, I think some of us have gotten into some routines and some habits of not being a part of the church. They've gotten out of the rhythm of going. A lot of us have gotten comfortable, if we're real, with watching church online, being in our PJs, or maybe it's more than that. Maybe some other things have filled our Sunday mornings if we weren't, because we weren't paying attention. Maybe it's golf, maybe it's our kids' sports, whatever it may be, I'm asking for us to begin wrestling through what does it look like to re-engage with the body of Christ? So again, to prayerfully consider that question, what is the marker that I'm waiting for before I return? On our campus, as you know, we've got a, a number of great options for watching the service. We have the worship center to gather in. We also have the outside courtyard. And then we have the well in which masks are required. And so whatever you're comfortable with, and I'm open to bringing back the sticker system that we had in place, whatever it is that makes it easier for your transition back, always happy to serve. If you want to process through this and talk a bit, I'm free as well. Well, thanks for giving me a minute to give you a little bit of a nudge. Now for all of us that are gathered to worship online, man, I hope that you can really choose to engage as we said in person and really dive into this wonderful time of worship.
Well, thank you so much, worship team. Hello again, everyone out there. It is great to see you. My name is Josh. I have a couple of announcements for you. First of all, if there's anything that we could be praying for you for this week, we would love to do so. Please text any prayer request to 97,000. We'd love to pray for you. So a number of things coming up here in the very near future, as you've uh, been hearing. First of all, our newcomers lunch is this Sunday. That's right, this Sunday, potentially the day that you're watching this video. If you're newer uh, to the church and you want to skedaddle on over, we're going to have a little welcome uh, brunch and lunch after each service. So after the nine o'clock, we're going to have just a little time after the first service and then after the 1045 service as well. We'll be meeting in the well, just a sweet time of meet and greet getting to uh, mix um, with the staff, ask any questions you might have. It's a really good time. So jet on over. We'd love to see you. Ladies, you have your retreat coming up next Saturday. That is right, next Saturday. It is coming up here on September 25th here on the ABF campus from 9 to 5. Full day, lots of good stuff. Please go ahead and register for that online. No, it is not too late. You're definitely going to want to be here and hang out with all the ladies and have a sweet day worshiping, hanging out, just a really good time. So go ahead and register for that on the website. Gentlemen, our one-day retreat is coming up in four weeks. Four weeks, October 16th. Go ahead and register for that online as well. As I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks, this is Life Group Month. We're making a big push, trying to get everybody just plugged in. Again, not just watching a video or in the rows, but doing life together in community. We've got different options and are launching some new groups. So please go online onto the church website. On the very front page, there's a link for the Life Group questionnaire. Go ahead and fill that bad boy out and we'll get you plugged in. Finally, our ABF barbecue and camp out, complete with a hoedown, is happening on, in two weeks on Saturday, October 2nd, and that's going to be an overnighter for those that choose to stay and camp out on campus going into Sunday, October 3rd. It's going to be a really good time just hanging out with the church family. Uh, lots of good stuff included there, so we'd love for you to mark your calendars and make your way on over to the church for that. It's going to be just a really fun time together. Church, thank you so much for continuing to support our church through giving. We love you so much. You can continue to give either online or send in a check. Super thankful for you guys uh, taking part in that. And without further ado, Mr. Pastor Scott Kegel. Well, thank you, Josh, and thank you, worship team. Excited today to continue in our series working through the book of Jonah. You can turn with me. We're in chapter two here starting today. As I was thinking about this section, I, I was introduced this past summer, actually Adrian and I, to a, a new reality television show that we've been trying out. I don't know if maybe you've uh, heard of it before. It's actually called Alone. And the whole idea of this reality show is people trying to figure out, actually individually, contestants going against each other, figuring out how to survive off the land. So they're dropped off in these really remote places and they only have a few things to work with and they don't even have a cameraman. They're just left with even their own camera and they have to figure out how to survive. 
been interesting to watch because they're actually have gotten quite good at the, all the, the basics, like the, the whole thing of water. They've gotten good at figuring out how to get clean water, shelter they've got down, fire they've got down. The one thing that seems very hit or miss, though, for these people trying to survive out in the wild is figuring out what you're going to eat every single day. I mean, the amount of consumption, the amount of calories that you have to keep coming in, and just because you have one good day doesn't mean that it's going to continue. And so it's been interesting. It's really uh, been a, 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 a battle of the wills as they struggle with their bodies breaking down of starvation. I remember one episode where one of the guys has been just laying there. They're in the, the middle of nowhere. I think that one was, man, I forget which place it was, but really... Uh, in a, oh, it was in Patagonia. In Patagonia, he's stuck and he's in his sleeping bag. And he's like, yeah, I don't know that my wife would be too happy. I haven't left this sleeping bag in three days straight. I'm like, whoa, what, what kind of a life that is? Really, it's the determination. Some of them have actually had to uh, been taken out of the contest and the winner gets $500,000. They've been taken out of the contest because they're at the point of starvation where if they go even a little bit longer, they might have permanent and lasting effects. See, what compels them is there's something inside of us that would rather do anything other than than surrender. Anything other than surrender. In fact, when I actually say that word, you maybe even saw it in the title here. When I actually say that word surrender, what comes to mind for you? What picture comes to mind? I, I, I picture somebody that's been, been caught. They have no other option. They've got their hands up. Maybe they're down on their knees. They've given up to a higher authority or the, their captor, if you will. Well, here's the reality and what I'm trying to move us towards is thinking through how that works in a spiritual sense. Because truth is, sometimes surrender is the hardest thing for us to do in a spiritual sense as well. In fact, that's probably why there's such a, a popular bent towards work harder religion. We like the idea of the, I won't quit. I'm just going to keep trying harder and I can do this on my own. The achievement mentality in religion is really runs deep. But what if, and what Jonah's about to discover in our text, what if true hope, what if true uh, peace is found on the other side of surrender? What if surrender to, a, to a, a loving and gracious God is the best thing that you could possibly do in your life. It's, it's, a, it's a, the, the, the difference between somebody that's living a full and vibrant life and somebody that's stuck in this cycle of working harder, harder, trying harder, trying more. Or we're about to see that Jonah discovers this truth, but he doesn't go without a fight. There's a, a lot of fight before he's willing to surrender. Let me just pray before we dive into the text and explore this more. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to even gather for worship, even online. And we're so grateful for that uh, gift that we're in a day and age where that's possible. Well, now we ask as we study your word that you'd meet us as only you can when we read from these pages. God, that you'd speak to us, that you'd teach us that you even help our understanding 
of surrendered what that looks like to be expanded. We invite this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, as usual in this time, I'm inviting you as we work through this story to do a little bit of self-evaluation, a little bit of asking yourself, where am I in this story? Where am I at? How do, how do I relate to this text? If you remember from last week where we left off, Jonah was unsuccessfully, very unsuccessfully, trying to run from God. Really, you realize if you spend any degree of time in this life trying to run from God, God definitely gives us free will and allows us to, to wander, to go our own way. But I would also say from experience, you might be wandering, but that doesn't mean that you're going to skip the storm that he causes to bring you back home. The storm that he causes to bring you back home. You see, the way a loving parent works, think about even if you've had a child, how you understand it. If you have a child that's about to run out in traffic, what are you willing to do? You would be willing to tackle that child and even inflict some, some scrapes and bruises, whatever it takes to protect them from even worse damage, even further damage in their life, similar with our God. You see, Jonah is taking some few, a few scrapes for sure along the way in order for God to get his attention. Last week, we saw the sailors finally take Jonah's advice. Remember, he's on the, the boat. They discover he's wandering or straying from God. He suggests to them, he calls out and suggests, well, why don't, why don't you just throw me overboard? They try to resist this idea. And so they try to row as hard as they can back to shore with no success. And finally, they give in and throw Jonah overboard. Jo throw Jonah overboard. And really, if you think about it, being thrown in the pitch black sky into a massive waves is basically certain death for Jonah. But you remember how our text ended in chapter one last week. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's interesting if you think about that both the storm and the fish obey the Lord long before Jonah ever does. We'll pick up in chapter two where it leaves off. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, I want to pause there for a moment. I want to point out a very important word there for us to understand the timing. When you piece together the previous verse with this verse, the word that I want to point out is the word then. Then. It says, prior to that, it says, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So in order to piece that together, the timeline of what's been happening here, it's been 72 hours in the belly of this fish before Jonah finally then decides to call out to God. Imagine this scene for a moment. I can't even uh, wrap my mind around what that would be like in the stomach of a large creature. 
You imagine complete blackness. The, the smell would have been just overwhelming. The, the, the darkness would, would have been crippling. No food, limited water. Like, I mean, you'd feel the, the stomach acids of the fish starting to break down your body. I mean, this was the ultimate low if there ever was one. He's there, and then finally... At the point of 72 hours, his stubbornness begins to wane in this mineral bath, and he calls out to God. Now, I want us to make uh, sure that we make a, a quick reference here, because a lot of times, people, you cannot make it through the book of Jonah without somebody complaining about the possibility of a fish swallowing a man. I want to first point out one thing that's very important when we understand what's being said here. The, in, the, in the original uh, Hebrew, the word here for fish is actually spelled D-A-H-G, dag, or not, not dog, dag. It's basically a generic term that's used throughout scripture for sea creature, for sea creature. So it doesn't specifically say a fish although it definitely could have been a fish. If you look across the landscape of animals that exist today, there's plenty of options that would have definitely worked in this situation. A blue whale can be 110 feet uh, long. It could have been an apartment complex for people inside. Whale sharks get up to 41 feet long. Uh, most scientists suggest that it would have been a, a sperm whale, which has uh, digests slowly and has a stomach that has a, a known livable space in it. Others have suggested a colossal squid. I think that sounds kind of cool. Or something that no longer exists. There's obviously animals uh, that have become extinct. I think one of the other possibilities is in Scripture, it says that, that the Lord appointed this fish or this sea creature. So it could have been something that God specifically created just for this task. I have no problem with Genesis 1 with the creator God. So obviously I have no problem in this section of scripture. So getting back to this idea though, this fish or this sea creature gave Jonah the unknowingly the best gift he could ever be given. It was really the gift of coming to the end of his ropes. The gift of, of surrender often doesn't happen until you don't see any other option in this life. I'm always blown away with it, that idea that our God is willing to take us when we've come to our wits end, when you're like, man, I've tried everything else in life, but I guess I'll give God a shot now. And that our God is still willing for us to, to come to him even in that place. Jonah describes where he's calling out or where God heard his voice as a place called Sheol, which is basically the realm of the dead. Basically the idea, uh, some would point it towards hell. Basically this would have been the, the bottom of the bottom. A lot of us have testimonies of somewhere dark that God's brought us out of. I would suggest it would be hard to beat Jonah's rock bottom. It'd be, I mean, you're like, whatever your story is, I'm impressed with it for sure. But to find yourself literally in the bottom of the, the, the sea, in the stomach of a large sea creature, man, that is rock bottom. And that's what often has to happen before we're willing to submit. We have to hit rock bottom and surrender. And once we've surrendered, 
then God can begin our rescue. You see, surrender always is the, the precursor to salvation. Think about that in the, the gospel message. The gospel message, what do you have to come to the, the end of? You've got to come to the end of your human efforts of appeasing a perfect God. You've come to realize, I can't do this. I can't fix me. And then God's like, all right, now I can work. Well, that's where Jonah is at in this situation. 70 72 hours in this sauna mineral bath, and he's finally calling out to God. Take a look at verse 3. It says, for you cast me, this is him talking to God, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, uh, brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. We'll stop there. You might catch on to this, some of the terminology in that section. Do you notice what he's, who he's casting blame towards? He says, you cast me into the deep. He says, your waves, your billows passed over me. Sure sounds like he's blaming God for all of this in this prayer. So my question for us, is God to blame for this situation? Is God the source of this trial? Now, this is a unpopular idea and unpopular reality of how our God operates. But if you remember in chapter 1 verse 4, we were told, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. So is God the, the source? Is he the source of this trial? I would say yes, absolutely. He is the source of this trial. And that's something that we need to understand and grasp as to how our God operates with his wayward kids, his wandering prophet in this situation. In this, you have to understand that he's okay using people and circumstances to shake us up, to get our attention. It's left Jonah there Man, calling out to him. It, it, it's left Jonah uh, talking in poetry. It's kind of interesting to, to look at his ter his, the terms he uses here. If you do a little study comparison of this and the book of Psalms, he actually uses nine specific quotes from the book of Psalms. Chapter 3, 5, 18, 31, 42, 69, 77, chapter 116, and chapter 120. Some of you might, some of us might think of some of the languages in Psalms as like very dramatic and poetic. Well, this, the, the, the terminologies that he's using here is not poetic. It's actually literally what's happening to him. 
The waters closed in over me to take my life. Yep, that's happened. The deep surrounded me, definitely. Weeds were wrapped about my head and the roots of the mountains. I'm sure he was tangled in seaweed. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yep, check. Yep, you brought up my life from the pit. Here's the thing I want us to understand is that God allows hardship to encourage us to surrender, but it's always with the intent of bringing us back to life. I love that phrase. And maybe some of us have committed that to memory. He says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. A lot of us, that's our testimony. That's our story. We were in the pit. We were uh, seemingly beyond reach. And God chose to rescue us to bring us out of the darkness, to, to bring us back to life. That's Jonah's testimony right here. And I love all of a sudden the description that he has of her God. He says, oh Lord, my God. Has he been operating with him as, as Lord and God up until now? Not so much. This is now a new cry. This is new sentiment. It's now he's aligning himself with what scripture tells us. One day every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jonah's getting a head start on that, even in this prayer. Continue in verse seven. It says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I like that statement there. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope for steadfast love. Basically, there's a trade-off that he's saying there. None of us, if we're honest, we, anybody hates to have false promises not come true. I don't know if you've been burned by that at some point in your life. I know I for sure have. I've talked a, a bit here about one of my hobbies that I have. I've really enjoyed really for almost the last uh, 20 years buying and selling uh, cars as kind of a side uh, thing, side project. My, my wife uses terminology, my side hustle. I don't know if that's the right thing, but you get the idea. And so this past year has been actually uh, probably one of the more profitable years for that because of the crazy uh, car markets just going all over the place and have had some fun making uh, some money with, uh, with some different sports cars. And uh, one of the ones though, I just this last week, I was working with this dealership uh, in Duluth, Georgia. It's really frustrating because I, all of a sudden I got a note that I found out that the, that the dealership was no longer going to honor the agreed upon price. They're doing an add-on price to this and basically saying, well, you can have your deposit back if you want. But either way, there's something that, that just stinks about thinking something was going to go one particular direction and that it was worth something and then finding out that, man, it wasn't at all what I thought. I, I was burned by this. I was thinking about this as it relates to Jonah. This is how so many people operate. They go after these different idols, these different things that they, that, that promise that they're going to do something. Here he describes it as vain idols, things that get our, our time, our attention, our affection, eventually expose themselves as being pointless, as, as being something that we were 
just bamboozled by, then it turns out to be nothing of what was promised. Here he was saying, we're willing to trade that for steadfast love? Are you kidding me? It makes no sense at all. So this whole topic of surrender, when we have to think about it, we have to stop and assess what is it that we're being asked to surrender? What, what is it? Is it actually something worth giving up? What I would have proposed and what Jonah concludes is that it's not worth the trade-off for his steadfast love. Love in verse 7, he says, when everything was crashing around him, he says, I remembered the Lord and his love. All these vain pursuits, why would I go after those things? It wasn't because he had forgot about the name of the Lord. He had forgot about the position he should play in Jonah's life, the title of Lord. We see that in verse 9. It says, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. It's finally, he's acknowledging him as Lord. We see Jonah also submit to him as Lord. Look at his, his words. He says, I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. Basically, in other words, I will thankfully serve you moving forward. Basically addressing both his attitude and his actions. Thankfully, if you've ever crossed paths with somebody that's serving but doesn't want to be doing it, I remember one season of ministry having somebody that I volunteered with that, man, everything that he did, you could tell he's just Oh man, I'm here serving again. I'm just doing my weekly responsibility. The Lord doesn't want that. He wants a thankful acts of service. And that's what Jonah is committing himself to, both attitude and action here. Should it stem out of immense gratitude if we're honest with ourselves? But here's the surrender. This is an important thing for us to understand. Surrender demands Submission. You can't call Jesus Lord in your life and not have a, a, a submissive approach towards him. It's kind of the same idea. If somebody comes and you surrender to them, what do you do? You give up all your rights. Think about that in any kind of a cop show or military show. When somebody surrenders, they're like, all right, I give up. I'm at your discretion. Whatever you say from this point forward, you're the boss. I'm no longer the boss. And that's where Jonah is finally getting to that place. And that's a wonderful place to be. It says, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will pay. In other words, the promises that I've made in this fish's belly, in this sea creature's stomach, the promises that I've made, now I'm going to actually keep them. I'm going to actually do what I say. Now, you see the timing of that aligns perfectly. It almost, you get the sense that that's exactly what God was waiting to hear from Jonah because what do you see happen? As soon as he's willing to submit, as, when he's, as, as soon as he's willing to say, you're Lord, I'm gonna do what I promised. I'm gonna now serve you with a good attitude. What do we see that happens in the text? All of a sudden the fish is like, all right, 
you're out. God tells the fish, again, an immediate obedience from this fish to spit them out. And what happens? It says, spit out the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now these stories, it's easy to cruise by and be like, oh yeah, that's cool. We put them on dry land. What would that have looked like? I, I don't know if that means he rolled up onto the beach and spit them out. I don't know what that looks like. I was uh, talking about this last spring. I'm not sure if I mentioned it here. At summer camp, we had found this turtle many years back and they had a water slide going into this lake. We sent this turtle down the slide and it skipped across this lake. And I kind of have that picture of Jonah arriving on dry land. This fish spews him out. All of a sudden, the verses that you have in your mind about God dealing with someone that's lukewarm says, I'd rather spit them out of my mouth. Well, that's exactly what happens to Jonah. Jonah had just had a crash course on running from God and surrender to God. He had failed on the running attempt. Now it seems like he had made some strides and understanding surrender. So how are we doing with that? How do we respond to this idea of surrender? We have to understand that surrender has to happen before salvation is ever a possibility in our life. If you can't point to a time in your life where you've ever bent a knee and called out to him, God, I, I surrender, I embrace Jesus' death for the forgiveness of my sin, and that is the starting point of surrender. Then it continues on in our life that, that it's not something that we're uh, intended to, to ask lightly. It's not this, this like, oh yeah, yeah, I surrender, but it's intended to be something that demands submission in our life, that it's, it's, it's everything to us. This surrender is a beautiful picture of still the call of the gospel for each one of us. So whether you're, regardless of where you're at in life, whether you're pre-surrender to start with, or if you're the, the wayward prophet that keeps running, there's always this invitation to come back, bend a knee. All right, God, I'm going to actually do what I said. I'm going to actually follow through. I'm going to do it with a, I'm going to serve you with a, a good attitude. That's what Jonah seems to be headed towards. I'm excited to see where things land next. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this section of scripture and the reminder of the importance of surrender, that you don't mind chasing us down and causing, even being the source of discomfort in our life in order to get our attention because you love us too much to let us stray too far. We thank you for that reality. We thank you for your pursuit, for your love, and that the idea of surrendering to a God that loves, that has a love that extreme is not like it is in the movies. It's something we should desire, something that we should be running towards rather than fleeing from. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience as we work all this out. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. When the sea is calm and all is bright, I feel your favor flood my life Even in the good I'll follow you Even in the good I'll follow you When the boat is tossed upon the waves When I wonder if you'll keep me safe 
Even in the storms, I'll follow you. Even in the storms, I'll follow you. Because I believe. And I believe everything that you say. church. Well, again, thanks for joining us online. And thanks for letting me give you a little bit of a pastoral nudge there at the beginning of the service. I'm excited to see how God's going to work and move and how he'll be glorified through this entire situation, even in COVID-19. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.